Welcome to Lady Bits in Leadership, a brave space where women come together to share stories about our bodies, our sexuality, and motherhood. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Vogel, and my mission in life is helping women feel less alone, process their trauma, and build the lives they desire. So if you're ready to join a community of women who have found their voices, who have become liberated from shame and reclaim their power, then you're in the right place, girl. You found us. We're so happy you're here. My friends, have you seen the Barbie movie yet? Oh my gosh, I saw it twice. And I thought immediately, this has to be on my podcast. There's just no way that I can't address everything that I watch. So if you're excited to either watch the Barbie movie or you've watched it once or twice and you want to hear a couple of gals chatting it up about it and what we thought about it, then you're in the right place. This week's episode is with Miriam Diana. And she's a conscious dating coach and has worked for a long time in reproductive justice. And when I met her, would you believe it? We were naked, steaming our vaginas over a hot bowl of tea. (laughs) I know, I know. You're like, Sarah, enough of the vagina. No, it will never be enough. I will always talk about my vagina. I love her. I love her. And I love that other people love their vaginas. So we will talk about it together. This episode is not about the JJs and not about the coochie cooch. But I did want to say that it was a magical moment at the end of the world in the jungles of Pune, which for those who are not familiar with the island that I live on, it is out in the middle of nowhere. Strange things happen there, but also magical things happen, like a wonderful women's retreat that was hosted by my friend Lillian Love, who is also on this podcast. And when I got there, she was like, hey, everyone who's doing the Yoni steam, make sure you grab your bowls. And I was like, dang it, my ADHD brain forgot my bowl. And Miriam was there, this cute, tiny Jewish woman. And she was like, hey, girl, want another bowl? I bought two at Target. And I was like, Angel, where are you from? Where? Why have you not been in my life? And she's like, girl, I'm in D.C., Washington, D.C., making things happen. And I was like, how the hell did you end up here in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of this island, in the middle of nowhere? She's like, it's a long story, but I'm here now. Let's steam our vajayjays. And I was like, all right, girl, let's do it. So after that, we were bonded for life, obviously, because when one steams a vagina next to another woman, you are innately bonded forever. And after that, we've just been loving on each other, admiring each other's work. And when the Barbie movie came out, she had posted on her Facebook a not, it's not a negative or a positive review. It just was a, we got to talk about this. And I said, hey girl, come on the podcast. It's time. She also hosts a podcast called Sensitive Slut. So if you like what I'm doing, you're definitely going to love what she does. So without further ado, let's welcome to the podcast, Miriam Diana. But before we start this episode, I have to put a quick plug in for my girl, Kelsey Audison Viegas of AutoBooks. Listen, if you're a business owner of a small or large business, you do not have time to be doing your own books. No one has time for QuickBooks except for my girl, Kelsey. So if you want to be focused on building profits in your business rather than tooling over all this Excel spreadsheets and different queries of QuickBooks, then our girl is for you. You can find out more about Kelsey and her bookkeeping solutions at O-T-T-O-B-O-O-K-S-L-L-C.com. That's O-T-T-O-B-O-O-K-S-L-L-C.com. Oh, we got Miriam Diana on the podcast. Welcome, girlfriend. 
so much. I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh. I had to reach out to you and ask you to come on Lady Bits and Leadership because we both saw Barbie and we both had a little bit different takes of it. Yours was a bit more critical. Mine was just like, I love it. I need to go back to the Barbie world. I need to see it a second time. Yeah. I, I may have gone into it with like such high expectations that that brought me down a little bit. I just, I loved Barbie growing up and I'm a feminist and uh, the patriarchal right, like hates this movie so much. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it's going to be like the perfect movie. Yeah. I didn't think it was the perfect movie, but I thought it was good, not great. Absolutely. I think someone had said, at least if it's not perfect, which it isn't, at least it got young women coming out of the theater. Like, what is patriarchy? I would love to see the stats on like people Googling what is patriarchy. So for those who are like, I still actually don't know what is patriarchy. Do you have like a working definition that you use in your line of work, both as a conscious dating coach and in the other spheres that you work in? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, well, in the movie, they do kind of say that patriarchy is when men hold the power. Mm-hmm. And that's it. But I I was thinking of myself as a 13-year-old girl um, because this movie is PG-13. And, and I don't think the way they defined it in the movie would have been quite enough for me to understand it. And I don't think I really got what their take on it was, mm-hmm. you know, even as a 40-something-year-old woman now. Um, but that is my definition that, um, it's a, a system, um, of power where men hold the the power and oppress people who are not men. Yeah. And we're talking about cisgender. So you were born a man, identify as a man, heterosexual. So you are attracted to women and generally white (laughs) Christian. and generally, yeah, usually it's a, it's a combo platter with white supremacy. Yay. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think it's interesting to um, also define what matriarchy is, if you're yeah. going to define patriarchy. And matriarchy is the, the like simple definition is when is a place where women are in charge. And that's kind of where Barbie land is. But I had a, because maybe I know too much about what matriarchy is in the real world. In the real world, um, civilizations that have been matriarchal and tribes that have been studied that have been matriarchal are not hierarchical. They're more egalitarian. And I think that was one of my issues with the movie that like a matriarchy doesn't, it's not patriarchy in reverse. It's kind of a whole other thing where the the women are respected more as the decision makers and are centered in the power, but they share it more in reality than than men tend to do in a patriarchy. Totally. And just for those who are listening, there will be lots of spoilers. So if you have not yet seen Barbie movie and you want to see it and you don't want it spoiled, just hold off on listening to this podcast and then come back to us when you've seen it. Um, Don't want to spoil anything. I don't think what we've said so far has spoiled anything, but I appreciate you pointing that out because in Barbie land, and we'll get into spoilers now, in Barbie land, it's like the men... One, they asked the question, where did the men even sleep, right? Because you have like a community of Barbie dream houses, which my 13-year-old self, 10-year-old self was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, like, look at this come to life. And, um, And then at some point they're like, where did the Ken sleep? And Barbie's like, huh. 
I don't know. So there's a sense of like, it is not egalitarian. It is the opposite of the real world in the movie. And it's opposite of the real world here where Barbie runs all the Supreme Court. Barbie runs. She's the president of the Barbie land. She is, she holds every position of power. She does every job. Like literally, what do the Kens do? They don't even have jobs. They do beach. They do beach. (laughs) That's what they do. So, and I appreciate you bringing it back to the idea of feminism. Um, Well, at least for the way that I view feminism, the way that I view, if we're talking about equity, equality, I think oftentimes it gets convoluted in the sense that like women want to take all the power. There's this almost threatening of like, we cannot share the pie. But even for my doctorate research studying women in leadership, it is the way that women approach leading teams is very egalitarian in that it is not a hierarchical structure. They're not like, I'm the top, I'm the person that's in front of everyone telling them what to do. It's more a circular model where they're like, what can we as a collective do together to move this organization forward? And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it would have been so cool if the movie got to that. And I understand that the movie's trying to be simple. and. Totally. It- and, and like like you said at the beginning, like it's just freaking rad that uh, a mainstream movie has the word patriarchy at all. So yeah, and gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> and bookend with gynecologist, absolutely. It, um, it brings about questions of matri- patriarchy, matriarchy somewhat, but not really. Um, and, and this existential crisis that Barbie goes through of when her designer when when her person played by America Ferreira I think her name's Gloria in the movie starts to struggle herself with like her daughter is around 13 she is obviously a huge feminist very just walking around in a very kind of angry way and she's finding a disconnect with her daughter so she turns to Barbie to process those emotions so she creates existential crisis barbie what else cellulite barbie (laughs) okay not flat foot barbie but uh what else those are the ones that i remember the three um it was definitely like irreprehensible thoughts of death or (laughs) thoughts of death barbie cellulite barbie and one more barbie um and so that's where we see it represented in the real world where the space-time continuum is broken as as ugly Barbie says or <laughs> as weird Barbie says played by like Kate back McKinnon to the, back to the future reference I think oh was it you know there was some references in there like the whole dance scene between the Kens yes that was That's that like old school like Gene Kelly and kind of Bob Fosse stuff and the the very opening scene was the space odyssey 3000 2000 I'm oh okay yeah where you have the small you have the small dolls and then they introduce this enormous Barbie (laughs) who changes the world that before women uh before women only played with baby dolls so they had to be mothers and then you had Barbie who was a representation of the idealized or the stereotypical woman um, and so we'll get into Barbie and body image because I think that's oh, that's yeah. something that they tried to tackle too. Yes, but, and that was it was an allusion to 2001: A Space Odyssey. That was thank the- you. Yeah, so throughout the movie there were these little Easter eggs. Uh, it just kind of nods to other, I'm sure, movies that Greta Gerwig, the director, either loved, respected, or just kind of speaking. To, I felt like it spoke to a very millennial 
audience. I don't know. I mean, I know you're in your forties. I'm in my mid thirties. I felt like the music, you know, like the music that Ken plays on the guitar said, I don't know what I've ever been good enough. I'm like, oh my God, I haven't heard this song for a long time. What yeah. do you, who did you think they were speaking to? What age? Okay. Um, I definitely felt called out when uh, America Ferrero was, and Barbie was singing to the, um, uh, what are they called? The, the two women who um, sing Closer to Fine. I, I saw them in live in concert in the early 2000s. Um, they're very Lilith Fair. That's the song that they're singing on the way out of Barbie land and the way into Barbie land is they sing an indigo girl song. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So I felt like that was like very much my generation. So, um, but I, I didn't quite identify with the America Ferreira character, Mm -hmm. uh, possibly because I'm not a mother and, but, but I also, I have children in my life uh, and I, I've worked with children. So um, there were some things where I just kind of felt like, oh, these characters are a little flat and maybe they needed to be flat in order to move the storyline along. Um, but I really wanted to connect with that character because I've had existential dread. I've thought about death since I was a little girl, but the way they handled those, like, um, like her shadow wasn't in a way that felt real to me. It definitely, I think flat is a really good way to put it. I think Barbie's existential crisis was the headliner and also Ken's existential yeah. crisis, which was really an interesting um, moment in the movie that caused a lot of empathy for Ken. But real quick, before we get into that and body image and other things, you know, the use of America Ferreira too, I was like, God, I haven't, I know she's been in, in comedies before that, but the first time I was introduced to her was in the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Yes. And so that was an, another like very female forward. We're fighting these norms of like what body image should be and what normal bodies are. And, and what does it mean to be in sisterhood and support one another? So I really appreciated that they used her to represent. And again, like we're about the same age, we're in the same age group. So to see mm-hmm. her with a teenage daughter, I am a mother of a four-year-old son. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know just from being a daughter, like, and just being around kids, there is a separation that happens right around that time where you're trying to find independence. You're trying to become your own person. And that also speaks to this movie too, um, of trying to find out at the core, who are you? What do you, what kind of life do you want to lead? Do you think that's why they never really explain why America Ferreira's daughter, it's Sasha, it's Gloria's the mom. Thank you. Why Sasha, it rebuffs her mother. Like the mom is trying to be tender with the daughter and the daughter rejects her each time. Like it, you kind of guess that the daughter's just trying to be more adult and doesn't want to be babied, but it, it seems so sharp and so persistent that it, it seems like, is there something in the daughter that needs to be heard? And then a great question. Yeah. You know, for me, the way that I read that at first, I thought, I thought Gloria was a single mother. And then when they're speeding away and she asked about her dad, I thought the dad, and she, she says something like, Oh, I haven't driven like this. in you know, since I met that guy and Sasha asked her, Oh, dad. And she goes, 
uh-huh yeah dad <laughs> and I thought he had maybe passed away and that's where a lot of her ire and her anger was coming from and then you see that her dad is still alive and well on Duolingo trying to figure out how to speak Spanish which I thought was really cute I thought the same thing I thought I was I was like oh the dad died I really thought that so I yeah. think with if it wasn't going to be that I think it begs the question of why, because like America Ferreras seems like a very loving, supportive mother. So why is her daughter so angry? And I, all the thing, all that I'm thinking of right now is the fact that around that age group, around 13, a young woman's confidence drops 30% lower than um, a guy at her same age. And it doesn't actually catch up to the level of confidence of a man until she's in about her forties and fifties. You know, that's an entire careers where when you think about from like a, earning standpoint from a career trajectory standpoint from just an overall holistic life standpoint to constantly be a lower level of confidence it begs the question of why right and i think that goes back to the patriarchy too right around 13 is when we have menstruation what are the messages that we hear around menstruation our bodies are changing what do we hear about our bodies um and again like going back to the barbie perfectionism when we have models of perf perfect quote unquote bodies and what a woman should look like um as Sasha says in her scathing retort to Barbie when she comes up to her in the in the um lunchroom the lunchroom <laughs> her friends go to her they're like ooh they're like take her down Sasha get her Sasha and she was ready i think she her anger to me is not necessarily at her mother but about this awakening of like, why is the world like this where we're constantly being put down even from a young age of 13? She, you know, she is more educated, it seems like, on the systems of power that exist. And she thinks it's bullshit. She has all the words for it. She has the words that I have as a 35-year-old, but in a 13-year-old, which I don't know if that's a realistic portrayal or not. Yeah, I think maybe some, some kids have that, uh, but it would depend on their parents, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, that was so, um, poignant for me, but also still superficial in a way, like, um, Sasha calls Barbie a fascist. And I don't know where that came from. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I know that's kind of like a thing that's kind of funny to say sometimes, like, like someone in authority or someone who's like trying to do something um that I don't like I might just call them a fascist and that's just kind of a funny thing to say but I don't think the writers well I it seems like Sasha's like really saying it and really trying to mean it and and right before that she's kind of hinting at some things about like capitalism and Mattel and and power but it's not that connected and and that was like one of the big problems I had with the movie is that it didn't connect things enough to, for me as a well-educated adult in terms of like the education about systems of oppression and society. And then if I was younger, I think I would be even more confused. Absolutely. I think to even say the word fascist, I was like, my initial reaction was like, well, one, that seems a little weird. It doesn't seem very connected. I mean, when you talk, I just looked up the the word fascism because I'm like, 
it seems like the anger from say the right conservative movements folks that don't like barbie think that it's anti-man think that it's um you know i would say a lot of it's around anti-man fascist is something that i feel like can often be used by the left to say like the right is fascist and i think there are actual real reasons why people use the word fascism when we're talking about leaders like donald trump or potential or like governor desantis or um ted cruz or some of these other folks that have really actually taken away people's rights really actually are promoting white nationalism really are actually making very serious problems and in law, in society in general now, that's very reminiscent of Hitler, which is often used for, you know, when we're talking about fascism. So to just throw it out there, like, Barbie, you're a fascist. I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I thought, are they just trying to make Sasha sound like a lefty? Like <laughs> what the right thinks lefties sound like? Like someone who's yes. like a little pipsqueak who's whining and using like, hefty words um, against something that's really not a threat when really a fascist is such a threat. And is very real today. And so to, and I think that that's something where that's one example of the movie. I could see why folks who are already have an ideal of what a liberal is, what someone of a liberal mindset would be someone who calls himself, say a Democrat, if we're going to talk about political parties, um, how they would be like, see, they're pandering to the left, you know? And I didn't like that. And it happened a couple times during the movie when I really believe that this could have, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of good points being made, but when it's simplified like this, it does fall flat and it actually could be used against the points that they're trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the word you used simplified, it was like, Certain things were simplified, but then other things, it was like more complicated, but also glossed over. So it's like, if they were trying to give like a feminism 101, like it just seemed like disjointed. They didn't connect the dots. Some things were like, there was a lot of detail and then some things there weren't. So it just kind of left me feeling like the message was muddled. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what attracted me most to want you to come on the podcast and for us to talk on your podcast as well, is that you didn't have like you weren't just like, I'm all in on the Barbie movie. And I love that. Because when I talk to my husband about it, who has not seen it, by the way, and and I'm like, babe, when this comes out streaming, like we are going to watch, I'm going to watch it a third time. And I want to watch it with him because he's a very open minded guy. Um, But he definitely falls into the category of like, generally white or white presenting heterosexual um man and i'd like to see his opinion you know i'd like to see what he thought about it what he thought about the representation of men what he thought about the representation of patriarchy but he was like do you think the barbie movie is just like an okay movie that had a really good marketing team you know because like even to today when you google barbie google has these sparkles that come up these like pink sparkles i mean they infiltrated even google and like you see a ton i mean my entire instagram explore page is all pink it's all pink when i went to the movies i knew immediately who was going to barbie because everyone was wearing pink so like marketing team 
bond, like shout out to them. They infiltrated so many different businesses, so many different spaces. And so when he asked me that question, is it just an okay movie that had a good marketing team? I wanted to ask you about that. What do you think? I think that's so right. Like, I think there was so much marketing for the movie. And then like the right is like, so like up in arms about this that I was like, oh, this must be like an epic feminist masterpiece as well as like a love story that's gonna like, you know, like make my heart sing as well as like a beautiful like feat of design. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, oh no. It, it was a good movie. It was, it had a message and I loved watching it, but it, I didn't think it was, it, it didn't transform me in any way. Mm -hmm. It certainly didn't transform me, but I do like they plant, like that they planted seeds. I think that the Barbie movie planted some seeds um, for young women to look up terms, you know? And like ask their mom about it after. Or ask whoever after, ask, ask another person. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that something I wanted to talk about with you particularly was the idea of capitalism, right? Because I think capitalism was mentioned and um, just making, just putting money and profits over people. And I thought it was really interesting because obviously Mattel made this movie Obviously, Barbie was the center. Obviously, I have to imagine, I haven't looked up the stats, but I have to imagine Barbie purchases have gone up or Barbie has licensed Barbie to, again, Crocs, Burger King has a burger with pink sauce. I'm like, what? I have not heard this. I know guys who've already bought the Knuff, uh, <laughs> I am Knuff sweaty sweatshirt hoodie thing. Oh my gosh, I am Knuff. So for those who may not have watched it at the end, towards the end, you know, Ken's talking about who am I without you, Barbie? It's always Barbie and Ken. And Barbie says it's Barbie and it's Ken. Like we're two separate people actually, you know? And so you have to find what fulfills you and who are you without me? And which I think we should definitely talk about like that. Um, but he's wearing this sweatshirt that says I am Knuff, like I am enough, but with a K, like a Barbie K at the end. So I'm glad I didn't see, I haven't seen that on shelves, but <laughs> it's so cute that guys are buying that. But it speaks to the idea that like a movie that's supposed to be anti-capitalist is very much benefiting from capitalism. Yeah. And promoting it, you know, and Mattel's making fun of themselves when you're in the room with Will Ferrell, who literally is my favorite. I freaking love him so much as the CEO. And he's surrounded at a circular table by like 15 other dudes. And when Barbie's like, I'd like to meet the woman in charge. Um, and he's like, what woman? And she's like the CEO. And he's like, I'm the CEO. And then she's like, CFO. I'm the CFO. C, uh, yeah. COO. He's like, I'm the COO. So like, they're making fun of it, yet also exposing that reality speaking, like they are made up of men, like the, a man is the CEO of Barbie. Um, I, I heard that the representation is actually more male than in real life. I don't know. Cool. I, That's I good. Have, we'll have yeah, to fact check that. <laughs> yeah, let's fact check it. Because and, and I don't know if they're talking about the board or the executive suite, like those could... Mm -hmm. Like the whole board could be men, but maybe the executive suite is mixed. But my sense is that it would probably be as mixed gender as at the end when the Barbies are like, okay, now we're going to give 
pens more power in Barbie land. We're going to give them as much power as women have in the real world. So <laughs> yeah. you, can't, you can't be Supreme Court, but you can be like a circuit court judge. <laughs> yeah. Even though that that didn't work for me 100% because we obviously do have women uh, or conservative women in uh, the Supreme Court. So uh. let's talk about um, let's talk about Ken for a bit. And uh, sorry, one conservative woman in the Supreme Court. I should. Oh, yeah. One. Just one. Um, One who who makes a difference. Yes. A big difference. Um, I want to talk about Ken for a little bit. First of all, Ryan Gosling. Oh my gosh. What do you think about his performance? Okay. I loved it, but okay. I know Ryan Gosling can play like really connected, really intimate, really deep, thoughtful, and he can play like different types of individuals. So for him to play someone so stupid, he's like, he's dumb. He's like the dumb blonde. Um, And he, I don't ever see his individuality even after like it seems like the storyline ends up with like oh okay and now it's going to be it's barbie and it's ken ken is going to become an individual like i still don't see him and i don't like him i like i feel kind of sorry for him um i have empathy for him because he kind of seems like a little boy who just like wants mommy's love or wants want has a crush on a girl and like likes her so much um but I don't see, I didn't see like real growth with him. And and so, and I know uh, Ryan Gosling can do growth. So it must have been totally. directed to do that. Absolutely. There, I think that's one of the issues, right? That I, I imagine people have both on the right, the left, everywhere in between is like, again, playing into the stereotype that like men are stupid men are little babies that need their mommies when in reality men are actually incredibly smart in fact when he goes when ryan gosling goes to the real world and he is learning about how men are in the real world he comes up to a guy after reading all the books on patriarchy and he goes you guys are not doing patriarchy right and he's (laughs) like no no no. we're we're doing it right in the sense that we're hiding it better Mm. and so like to just have this kind of stereotype that men are stupid is ridiculous. Men are very smart and they contribute to our society. And I'm, I'm married to a dude. I have a child who is, as far as I know, as of right now, identifies as a dude. We'll see. But like, that is problematic. It's so problematic. Yeah. And I, I love men. I love men. And you seem married to a dude. So you seem like you love men. And this whole thing makes me like, if I were a guy, I think I would be annoyed at the portrayal of, of the, of the Ken's like not being more deep, but I guess, I guess the point was like, there's so many movies where like the women are just kind of like props so we're going to treat the men as props. But I I think at the end, aren't they trying to say we should all work together and be real? And like, like she goes into the real world, like she Pinocchio's herself. Like if we're being real, then we would see men and women's depth. We would see like the deep feelings for everybody. 
so yeah, that's why it got muddled for me. Yeah. And I think that absolutely they're trying to bring light to the fact that women have always been props, that they can be kind of thrown away at any point. They can be killed at any point. They can, you know, like if we want to get dark, like they can be raped at any point, you know, AKA like Game of Thrones where they're just like, it just is what it is. It's just violence against them. It's just like, they are not the central characters. So I get that. Right. And I think in some regards, when I think of myself as a feminist, sometimes I'm like, fuck guys, burn it all down. It's our time. Like we get to shine. We've been put in the corner. We have been told that we're not enough. We have been, we have been sexually harassed. We've been sexually assaulted. We've been victim to so much bullshit. Like let us have our fucking shit. Let us have the moment. Let us have the movie. Let us for once just see our see how we've always been represented in guys and then i have the more tender feminist where i'm like but that's that sucks if it's going to not bridge the gap between you know this idea of men and women coming together if it's going to further divide like that that's not what we want either we can't we can't fight the good fight we can't fight for equity and equality um and just just fucking recognition without our guys we need allies oh you're what you just said that touched me so much more than than gloria's speech about how it is to be a woman and it it just rings true and her speech about like how we're in between a rock and a hard place all the time and there's this hypocrisy that we have to deal with and put a smile on the whole time. Like it just like, didn't, it didn't hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, what you said does ring true. And like, what, okay. You tell me if I've got this right. For what I know about the feminist movement, like women's lib from the sixties and seventies is that men and other allies, trans women, um, wanted to be part of this women's lib movement. And they all said, patriarchy is bad for all of us. Patriarchy makes us all conform to this. Can I say bad words on your uh, podcast? Could you not just hear me say fuck, fuck, fuck? Okay, great. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yeah, it's, it's labeled as explicit. So, and anyone who even listens to me just already knows that there's going to be an F bomb dropped if once, if not multiple times, because, and I'll just say this real quick for those who have not heard it, because so often we are told to tamper our language and podcasts are a space where you get to fully embody who you are. You get to fully be who you are. You get to hear a woman who is a professional be vulgar. And talk about shit that's often labeled as vulgar, including swearing, you know? And so it's important to me that you just speak openly and and the way that you would with friends. Uh, I love that. That's why I loved Broad City. Did you watch Broad City? <laughs> just a couple of Jews talking about another <laughs> couple of Jews. <laughs> I love them so much. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I could see myself represented there. I didn't yeah. really feel myself represented in this movie. But there were no Jewish Barbies. There were no Muslim Barbies. Where were they? I went as Jewish Barbie to Barbie. <laughs> we were there. <laughs> I think uh, Bar Mitzvah Barbie is going to be uh, Halloween. But... That would be fantastic. But sorry, I totally cut you off and went in okay. a different tangent. So talk to me about where we were. Okay. Women's Lib. 
yes. 60s and 70s. Uh, uh, patriarchy is bad for everybody, but the white women in charge of the women's lib movement at the time, and I'm generalizing, um, were like, no, we're so angry from our victimization and oppression and and we don't like the space that these allies are taking up, like get out of here. Mm -hmm. We don't want you, um, step back, it's our time. But then that enabled women to redefine their role in society. We're not just gonna be the homemaker, we're going to have jobs like Barbie, um, but then it left men in the dust in terms of not being able to redefine their role. Like, don't they want to redefine their role outside of patriarchy and be able to express their feelings and find their own individual, find themselves and have an individual journey? I, I don't know. So this is, I mean, masculinity is brought up and right now I'm developing curriculum for male athletes for colleges and universities regarding sexual violence prevention and um, just sex education in general, because anytime I do this type of presentation about consent, about sex, about even the orgasm gap, it's always women. It's always women. Men just don't self-select. And so there's a different way, you know, when we're talking about connecting with men, there is a different way to connect with men and to completely leave them out to say, we don't need you. It does bring up these questions of like, well, then who I want to be in partnership. And I'm talking about heterosexual couples. Like I want to be in partnership with you, but if you are liberated and doing all this stuff, like, what do you need from me? What can I offer to you? Right. And then knowing full well that guys are not taught and not allowed to have show this kind of vulnerability and emotion um, or else they're, you know, called gay use, you know, people are using hetero, uh, homosexuality as like a insult to them or they're a pussy, you know, using our vaginas as saying like they're weaker. So like, and this stuff still very much happens today. This is not a relic of the past. So I think something that I would like to talk about, about the Ken piece is how do we tease that out? How do we look at the Ken situation and how do we get a real reaction from guys on how they felt about that, about him touching into parts of himself that feel a bit more vulnerable? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I spoke to one guy friend uh, and he said he appreciated the um, the role of Ken. Like Ken is he's like a soft boy and um, he still has like a really big role to play in this movie. Um, he's not the stereotypical guy, but I don't know. Have Have you talked to guys about it who've seen the movie? <laughs> no, that would have to be enough. I generally don't invite men on podcasts. It's mostly just convos with women, but I have been thinking a lot about that, about how do we engage our men? Because, you know, when we, at, at least for me, when I'm talking about sex education and sexual violence prevention, and I know you work in this field as well, we keep throwing answers and solutions on those parties that tend to be victimized or survivors of this violence. But if we don't get at the root of it, which often comes with this idea of power and privilege that males hold, 
if we don't engage these audiences, are we really making change? That's been a question that I've been really pondering and, and thinking like, I don't want as much as it, as much as it matters to empower women, it also matters to inform and, and engage and engage in dialogue with men about their role in helping women rise. Yeah. And that, that's so hard. So that you have like the first piece of like, for some women or for some women, some of the time we would say, no, I don't want to do the emotional labor of having to educate these guys. You know, that's more of my time and they don't deserve it. But then we just end up still in the same place. So, so then it's like, um, trying to help men see when they are overstepping or um, not hearing women's boundaries, for example. And and that can be tricky too, because you don't want to trigger anyone. You want to have, like, keep the conversation connected and grounded. And and it, it's, uh, you have to like do it gingerly sometimes. But I mean, exactly what you're saying, two things that I picked up on. One, the idea of emotional labor of the oppressed identity. So not just women, but people of color, people who identify as queer, constantly not only being attacked, but then having to, and having to like build up blocks to be like, this is not a this is not a hit on, on me. Like I'm a strong person. I don't need to listen to these words coming at me. But then also having to have the empathy and the emotional bandwidth to be like, and in fact, in order to move the whole movement forward, I will now have to not only take all this shit, internalize it, figure it out, but then be calm enough. So then you get into the double bind that we talk about often, but then be calm enough to educate. And even when someone says something that's well-intended, but sounds super fucking ignorant, or someone says something that is just straight up like harmful to me, if I react in anger, then it's just going to confirm for them, like, look at this crazy woman or look at this emotional woman or look at this angry gay guy or whatever it is, whatever stereotype exists. Right. So uh, I hold that thought. Um, or it's like the guy could go into his boy self and like, just be like, and just shut down and just be like, mommy's mad at me. Mommy is like, uh, criticizing me. I'm, I'm bad. I'm a bad boy. And like whatever he presents on the outside, but like that's happening on the inside. Well, and the counselor me is like, damn, I don't want to shut him down. Like I do really want to engage. I do really want to make change. Right. And so this is where I think what I've heard a lot, especially after the election of Trump and kind of that four years and now the resulting division, right. Between parties, which was always there, but like definitely more of a chasm now it's no use talking to the quote unquote other side because they never listen. And so again, with the Barbie movie and talking about like the way that they depict Ken and men in general and the way that they depict women as incredibly smart and well-accomplished, like I get that they're trying to highlight how women have always been oppressed, but, and I get that maybe this movie isn't the place to do it, but maybe there could be like a part two or maybe, you know, classes could be built to discuss this. And again, I think that's one thing that this movie did really well is it opened up conversations like the one you and I are having, like the think pieces that are happening, getting people to think about it. 
yeah, I, I think that's right. Did you, did you, did I, did you remember your point? Did I interrupt you? Probably not. Cause I have ADHD. So oh. if it went, it's, it's gone. <laughs> okay. Well, what was well, the point? What was, what were we talking about? I could fish it out of my brain. Um, Kennergy, you know, well, we were, I mean, I think that the idea again of like the role of men and who do we, as women, how do we help men? Do they want to be helped? These are questions that I, I guess, left with. Um, how do men react to this movie? And you had asked me, have I talked to any men? I haven't. The depiction of Ken and the Kens in general yeah, was very interesting to me. Yeah. The whole idea of the dumb blonde Ken or just the, the dumb sidekick character Ken had to be dumb because if Ken wasn't dumb, he would be violent, right? Like if he, if Ken wasn't dumb and he did all of the mojo dojo, he took over her house. If he knowingly took over her house to fuck with her, if he, because he was acting out of resentment, it seems. And if he knew if he had the self-awareness that would have been really mean. Um, and then it, it makes me think of how men and women fight uh, or how I fight with my boyfriends, which is like, I think you should have known. I'm going to assume you knew that that was mean to me. Um, but if I don't assume that and I assume you just don't know, then does that make you stupid? And then are you beneath me? Are you a less evolved person? Are 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 men uh, like stunted growth wise, or is it just that we're different? And this is where I am right now. We're, we have been raised differently because of our society and there's different things going on chemically as well. Um, but like all is not lost. Wow. You just broke my brain. <laughs> you blew my mind because that was something that I'm I'm glad you're bringing it up because when we're first kind of introduced to Ken and he is not getting the attention that he wants from Barbie, it seems sinister at first. And the fact is, yeah, I mean, when you assume that he's an idiot, it's like, oh, poor Ken. But the reality again is like, we know, you know, like in the world that we live in now, how many women are subjected to violence from men. And when we talk about domestic and dating violence, we're talking about everything from emotional violence, you know, and this idea that I don't want you to hang out with your friends. You're not giving me enough gaslighting them to think that they're the problem when in reality, maybe this particular man, I'm not saying all men in general, but this particular man is not emotionally uh, developed in, in a way that is healthy, right? He's not quite there yet. He's not thinking about things outside of himself. And so when I first was introduced, my spidey senses working in the field of addressing sexual and relationship violence was like, ooh, this doesn't feel good because his sinister look, the way that he's so jealous by Simon Liu's portrayal of Ken, of like, she's talking to Ken. Why are you talking to him? He's my friend. This is stuff that we see snowball and roll into more coercive control, more physical violence that can very well end in actual um, serious harm or death for women. 
Yeah. And that like sinisterness was just always like a step and a half away. Yeah. Like, and maybe that's part of the reason why the movie didn't work for me because like, they're not going to this obvious place that feels real to me, but they're touching on it. They're hinting at it, but I don't, th- I, they needed to have nuance. It, I, I think they just needed to dance that dance a little better. They needed to finesse it a little more for me to have loved this movie. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there's social so much social commentary on gender roles, on the role of Barbie, on capitalism, on what is perfection, uh, body image, on representation. I mean, how many Barbies got to be represented? Really, not all Kens, actually. I didn't see any fatter Kens. I mean, oh. a thicker, I saw like a thicker Ken, but not super thick. They were They were touching on all these topics. But in reality, was this just a fantasy movie? Was this just us like in a Barbie world, like being able to relive our millennial uh, Gen X selves, you know, like what was like splashes of newness, you know, splashes of like by way of um, Sasha, the young girl and her friends, like was it just a fantasy with a little bit of social commentary or was it social commentary with a little bit of fantasy? Yes. I And your, your idea, uh, concept of splashing, it was just like, yeah, splash of commentary, splash of um, nostalgia, splash of like new buzzwords, splash of uh, feminist theory. It, yeah, it was just like a lot of splashiness. Yeah, I think to your point of when you had po- first posted about it, there just wasn't a lot of connection. Uh-huh. With that being said one out of 10, one being awful, 10 being the best movie you've ever seen. Where did it land for you? All right. I have to process this. Okay. And Cause I keep comparing it to the Marvel movie of Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman movie. Oh, okay. And I thought that was so dumb, even though I love Wonder Woman and like, I like dressing up as Wonder Woman. I have like nostalgia for Wonder Woman. There was feminism in that movie for sure. They were like, they had developed characters. So I would say that was like a four for me which one so, uh the M- marvel movie wonder woman okay i thought it was dumb <laughs> and then i would say the barbie movie is like a 7.5 okay better than wonder woman i don't really remember wonder woman outside of the the beginning when they're doing the racing that in the amazonian world um yeah, that, i also have been called amazon a lot oh. I'm almost six feet tall and like 220 pounds. So I'm a large person, a large woman. Let's say I'm above average of height and weight. And it's something that I've always been called because I've always been a lot taller than men, women. And I didn't know where that came from until the Wonder Woman movie. And I was like, oh, there's a whole like maybe Greek mythology or um, Hmm, Roman Roman mythology, something like that. Yeah. So I just didn't know. So that opened my eyes to that. These strong, big, powerful women. Um, yeah. But the rest of the movie, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So um, this one, you know, my, my mother-in-law asked me, should I take my, you know, t- our, my 10 year old niece, her 10 year old granddaughter to the movie, or is it inappropriate? And I was like, I saw a ton of girls, oh. little girls going with their parents. And I didn't see anything that was over-sexualized. I don't know if you felt differently, but Oh yeah. Um, well, I want to hear your number rating and oh, speaking yeah. 
of your Amazonia status, I want to talk about uh, body image stuff. Oh, yes, please. We do have time. Okay, awesome. I heard that the PG-13 rating was mostly because they used the F-bomb. Just one. one. Yeah. Just one. That's what I told my mother-in-law. I was like, there's one F-bomb, but nothing that my niece hasn't heard before. And I just didn't feel, even though skirts were short, like for Margot Robbie's character, I didn't find her outfits to be over-sexualized, which I did appreciate. My rating would be probably around the same as yours. Like, I was delighted what I was delighted in the buildup. I was delighted in the music dropping. I loved all basically every single song that I heard. I love Billie Eilish's song at the end. And I love that they weaved it out throughout the entire movie Um, in the score. I love the costume design. I love the set design. I giggled and laughed out loud so many times, both in the first viewing and the second viewing, that it was um, it was just a treat. It was honestly like eating ice cream from my eyeballs. It was just sweet and also made me think, but I never expected Barbie to save the world. You know, and I think that that's really funny because at the beginning, all the Barbies in Barbie land think we solved we solved this for you. She walks into the real world. She walks right up to Sasha. She's like, don't you want to give me a hug? Don't you want to thank me? And that's when Sasha's like, girl, I don't know what world you're living in, but we still having problems here, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would say, I would say it's a, an eight for me because I was, I didn't go in believing that it would solve problems. And mm-hmm. it gave me exactly what I was expecting, which was a joyous, like, sparkly barbie filled time i heard the term barbie core <laughs> and i love it's like um cottage core um oh, it's, it's like a like the canon the canon of so like yeah like if you think of cottage core there's like lots of lace and doilies and soft colors and barbie core is like all sparkle all glitter all pink all neon colors all just bright and fun and so a lot of the things that are being designed like the crocs are going to be bright pink or like alex and annie bracelets all have you know gold and pink okay let's talk let's i know we're getting towards the end of the pod but let's talk about some body image stuff because well you go first what do you think what did you think about that the message was mixed because you have um you have this the main Barbie character, uh Roby, what's her name? Margot Roby. Margot Roby um has a perfect body. Um, and then she freaks out about cellulite. And like as someone who has cellulite, I'm like, well, you know, I I've I've learned to love my cellulite. And but okay, fine. We're we're talking about cellulite. It's it's like a mainstream thing to complain about. Um, but and then at the end. Um, when Margot Robbie is like crying that she's not pretty, mm-hmm. that part almost would have been poignant for me. Like, because in our society, every woman has been taught that her appearance matters a lot. And even if you get it perfectly, the standard for beauty in our patriarchy is so at, at the same time, sticky and slippery that like, you'll get it wrong. Even if you're someone like Margot Robbie, you'll get it wrong. And um, I remember 
in the like early 2000s, Carmen Electra getting interviewed on a, a night show about how she didn't think that she was attractive enough and how she has criticisms about her looks. And I was like, wow, if even this woman feels that way sometimes, then we all must. So then for that moment, it's like almost gonna be like a deep meaning, but then uh, oh, they, we have the voiceover. Helen Mirren. Yes. And she's like, note to producers, uh, like this actress is too pretty to say she's not pretty, basically. And it's like, oh, you just undermined what would have like made the movie for me. And I think that they tried to, so Greta Gerwig, the director, um, got I apparently got a lot of pushback to not have the scene where Barbie goes into the real world and she's trying to find her person. She goes deeply into herself and she's finding who she thinks is her person in her mind. She opens her eyes. She has a single tear fall down. And then she turns to the right and she sees this older woman sitting at the bus stop reading a paper. And that woman turns to her and they catch eyes and they have this powerful moment. And she says, you're so beautiful. And the woman says, I know it you know and it's just they both smile and and have this sweet little moment and when I was reading about that moment and why it was so important you know folks had pointed out Barbie's never seen an old Barbie she's never there was no elderly Barbie there was as much as they tried to do representation with skin color um you know with different ethnicities and um and somewhat size but very rarely like there's no possible way to get every single person represented they even had a barbie in a wheelchair you know so they tried they tried and at least they did that which a lot of movies don't however all the main character barbies were taut and fit and pretty and still fell into that right all this they're still perfectly shaved they don't have stretch marks as far as we can see they don't I didn't see any short like really short Barbies yeah. um, as a shorty yeah uh, you're very tiny I know you're very very petite they didn't have a lot of I'm trying to think if they had a mid-sized Barbie so it just there's still work to be done right and it's again it's not all on Barbie it's not yeah like yeah. we now that we live in a world where people one sizes are going up right so like and we have petite i guess quote unquote regular and then plus size which i'm sure people have issues with that as well um at least there's clothes that fit lots of different bodies but it still is an idealized fantasy world and again with the kens i didn't see any other than alan um you know alan was not a super muscular character which he doesn't ever i can't remember his name he doesn't, michael sarah michael sarah he's the cutest but he's cute and not hot you know yeah and so all the kens were relatively hot he can be sexy like not in this movie but like he can get it sometimes <laughs> yeah no i i think that's the thing right is like sexiness attractiveness for men gets to be personality you know, like how often do we see shows where like a fit, taut, gorgeous Sofia Vergara is with a kind of schlumpy white dude who gets to have a gut, you know, that yeah. trope is everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, dad bods are cool, but mom bods, you better tighten that shit up. 
you know? I, I don't know. I mean, that is just something that I think we're continuing to debate on. There's going to be continued to be debates on like what representation looks like for different bodies, what representation, you know, debates about fatness and large bodied folks and health that often gets, you know, um, put together, which is a fallacy. Like I am definitely 40 pounds technically overweight, but I still work out all the time and still am very healthy by all measures. So I don't know with the Barbie and body image, I think there was still some work to be done. Yeah. Uh, I agree. <laughs> and I, I want to go into Alan, but I know we're, we're coming up close on time. Let's go into Alan. Okay. I have time. If you have time, I have time. Okay. Great. Okay. So I guess Alan's supposed to be like the beta male to like use like pickup artist PUA terms. Wait, I don't know what PUA or pickup artist is. Oh, okay. So pickup artist, um, this guy, Neil Strauss, who, um, wrote this book. It's this like black book of like how to get women into bed basically. And yes. Yeah. So he, and, um, uh, other men, um, looked at dating like sales and looked at women like a product that, or, or looked at women like a client. Um, so you were trying to make a sell to the client. You were trying to sell yourself as a man to these women and they would use manipulative tactics. For example, negging. Have you heard of negging? No. Oh my gosh. This is all new to me. What is negging? Oh my God. Okay. So negging is when you give a woman a compliment, um, but it's like a backhanded compliment. And the, the um, purpose is to make her feel on unsteady ground around you. And the purpose of that is to uh, get her to try to impress you and try to get her to um people please to you and so it it really plays on like women's socialized fawning uh trauma response yeah so a common neg is like you look really good for your age yeah for a big girl you're really pretty (sighs) yeah and for me like oh you're like short like an elf but you're hot um I just recently went on a date and I was like eating all the fries. They were really good. They were truffle fries. And the guy was like, I was like, oh, sorry, I'm eating all the fries. And the guy was like, oh, you need to gain weight. And I have an eating disorder. And it's like, I really don't need to hear any comments on my weight at all ever. So, um, so, okay. So to go back to beta, is that a word that they used? Yes. Yes. So like in, in these circles, um, these tactics to try to get, uh, to ensnare a woman, <laughs> um, it's trying to turn beta males into alpha males. There's another, I feel like there's another phenomenon that's happening and that we've seen it in like mass shootings as well. Um, with the same idea, you know, that men, this predatory behavior, this idea, again, one, you, it's objectifying women and anytime a woman is an object and not a human with feelings, a family, emotions, you know, just general consciousness, you can do what you want to her because that is, she's an object. She's there for you. 
you know, which again plays into this idea of patriarchal norms, which is the man is the alpha, the man is the provider, and the woman just is here as support, or the woman is just here to make sure that she's ha- that he's happy and moves forward with his what he wants to do, what who he is, how does he accomplish and realize his fullest potential. So there's that. And then there's also um I, I can't think of the term right now, but just this idea that there is an undercurrent of both white supremacy and male dominance where they truly believe that the order of the world is being turned over and it is their role to write that order. Um, and it's terrifying because literally multiple people who have gone on shooting sprees against women in particular, women of color, shooting sprees i think about like santa barbara you see santa barbara when multiple people men and women were killed but this idea that the women did not pay attention to this man i think going back to the very beginning of our conversation we talk about like we don't necessarily want to make these tropes funny in the sense that we don't explain how devastating they can be um and a real like life or death right if ken wasn't so dumb he'd be dangerous like that is that's where barbie kind of toes the line of like it's not going to go there because it's a barbie movie it's important for people to start thinking about the very real when we talk about patriarchy the very real consequences that it has on people and like still connecting with men in this conversation like still having that we're okay where are you in this dudes and (laughs) friends lovers People yeah. that we adore and that have maybe more systemic power than us. Can you please show up for us? Can you talk to each other? Can you go to therapy? Like, can you do yeah. things to heal yourself? I mean, so often I've seen so many women I know doing all the work to fix, not fix, but to understand her trauma and where her shadow selves lie and still have men that because of the way that they've been raised, um, therapy and diving deeply into oneself and questioning one's role and purpose in life is just not, it's just like, I'd rather play a video game. I'd rather do anything, but that can leave these, um, unhealthy dynamics in relationships. Yeah. It makes me glad to have a brother. Cause I think of my brother and I'm able to talk closely with my brother. Yeah. Our brothers, <laughs> we want, we want to keep you in the combo. Yeah, we do. With Alan, though, I mean, what were your thoughts about his character? Because he definitely was, if we were to use alpha and beta, he'd definitely be a beta man. Huh? Yeah. So it would have been cool if we saw Alan have an individual journey to or or just a hint of his individuality. It's kind of like he he didn't want to be as macho as the Kens and so he let the Barbies like call the shots. Mm-hmm. And so he got to like be with the Barbies. So that was like his reward. But it seemed like at the expense of any individuality. Like, I, I don't I don't know who Alan is <laughs> besides that he fits into Ken's clothes. Alan, I think, had his arc when he fought off all those guys. Okay. You know, okay. but again, it's interesting, right? Because like his justification for existing his arc is him hurting other men it's protecting gloria and um sasha but and again it was surprising because alan was so demure he was so like 
okay, whatever you want. You know, I'm just here as a supporting character. And so to have him step into more of a masculine or macho role was like, okay, there we go, Alan, you know? Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. He got to have his like warrior archetype forward. But he was in there celebrating with the women as they like re-voted to bring, to restore order to Barbie land. Um, And he, you know, he was not singing to the women. I don't know if he was intended to be a queer character. I don't know if that was in there. Um, But there's re-watching it. There's definitely moments where something the guys will be doing that's kind of like sexy or hot or very masculine and it would cut to Alan as like someone who's admiring so i i don't know i didn't do enough research or think much about that yeah well i okay so ken it seems like ken was assigned to barbie like that he was supposed to be her boyfriend and so that's why he had this expectation that she would return his gaze but i guess alan was supposed to be with midge is that right oh i don't know Midge um, is the pregnant Barbie who yeah. got discontinued because it's too weird to have a baby in the belly. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, you could take her you could take her tummy off and the baby was in there. Oh Pretty my sure. god. I did not have a Midge shawl. I didn't either. It was like it came out a little later, I think. It was introduced as Ken's best friend, which is interesting because I okay, so I'm reading about Barbie. Alan was named after the son-in-law of Mattel's co-founder, Ruth Handler. The first Alan doll was released in 64. He was marketed as Ken's buddy who could also fit into Ken's clothes. Wait, Midge came out in the 60s, so never mind. He was marrying Barbie's friend, Midge. Yeah, so that's what it says. That's so funny, but they never in the movie get put together. Yeah, it's the Alan character was really interesting, but and obviously Michael Sarah slayed it. Like, he did such an amazing alan for that character casting what um what are some final thoughts anything else that you feel like we have not covered as we kind of come to the close well i think i want to go back to the like redefining men's role and like if we want to make this society safe for everybody how can how can we support everyone having their own individual journey and and saying what they want to reject from patriarchy and what they want to embrace about their individuality and and our collectiveness like yeah it i i think I, what i said about this this movie was missing connection for me it was missing connection between the characters and and missing connecting the dots between the messages so i'd also want um it'd be great if it was packaged in like a sparkly pink bow um I'd be fine with that um but it would it would be ideal if it could tell me something real about having a community yeah I think the idea of community is really interesting to close on because um one of the quotes that stood out to me was when Barbie went into that room in the real world and she met what we later learn is ruth handler the creator of barbie it's like they say it's the ghost that hangs out on the 17th floor and it's the ghost of ruth handler who's the inventor of barbie and in that what's that Rhea perlman oh yeah she was awesome in that role she was awesome and she says you know humans all have the same ending but ideas live on forever And I think that the idea of 
how can we work together? How can we move forward in a world where equality is the norm is really Mm -hmm. where they were trying to go with this movie and also addressing each person's individualistic journey into who they are which I think both I think the United States focuses so much on the individuals so much and when we go outside of the United States there is much more focus on the collective right we see that in eastern um, countries we see that in indigenous countries and cultures everyone needs to work together if our societies are to flourish and thrive if we are to realize who we are on a very like spiritual on a very like here's our highest self level if we want to all reach that we have to work as a collective to make sure we have created a space, a culture that allows us to do that. But the only way for us to actually move forward in our individualistic selves is to recognize that we are intricately tied together. Oh my gosh. Thank you. You just helped me connect a couple dots. Yeah. I, when, when Rio Perlman said that I was like, wait, it's dumb to say that ideas stay alive, but people die because she's becoming human. So we're saying she as the doll could have survived, but then she's becoming human. So she's going to die. And now she's definitely going to have existential angst. What about that? So it's like, okay, well, maybe Barbara is going to die. Uh, But Barbie, the concept, Barbie, the concept of having a community and, and an individual journey. Barbara, I know she ends at the gynecologist's office. what do you think about that? I thought it was okay. Um, but just as someone who has worked in sexual and reproductive health care, it's like, it can be really hard to get a gynecology appointment. Uh, our, our reproductive rights are under attack. It's great that she said the word gynecologist. Um, I'm really glad she has a pussy. But I I was like doing some fan fiction. And if I were to rewrite the ending, I would have had Barbara um, arrive at um, a place where she has a a group meeting. And she's like, okay, I'm here for my pussy mirror gazing uh, activity. And like, she just like ends with like her legs (laughs) um, wide and with a mirror in between and going like, can you imagine that? That fan fiction ending is so much better, so much better, because how often do we look at our pussies? There are women that have never looked at their pussies. And what, you know, going from like a, a as they say, like a flesh cl- colored blob to the beauty of what a vulva, what a pussy, what the inner labia looks like, like clitoris, like that is such a fun fan fiction. I appreciate that. <laughs> And like, and then she she would see the beauty and the power, and and the herness, the barbaraness of her pussy. Hmm. I love but it. Like- well, that's that's a beautiful a beautiful thought to end on. Miriam, Diana, you were a treat. I'm Dr. Sarah Vogel. Thank you all for listening in. Ah, didn't you love that episode? It was so good. I just love the ability to tell women's stories and to help them tell their stories and to give them a platform to tell their stories. I find women so fascinating and their lives are so intriguing to me. If you love Lady Bits and Leadership, 
do your sister a favor. Go on to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for us. The more reviews we have, the more likely it is for women to find our empowering community. I would be so indebted to you. I would be so grateful and full of gratitude if you just took two minutes out of your day to do that. And while you're on the internet, why don't you go ahead and sign up for my mailing list? You can find that on ladybitsandleadership.com. Lots of love to you, my friend. I can't wait to see you next time on Lady Bits and Leadership.